Hi, my name is Sokuren, and I'm one of Sokuzan's monks. Sokuzan so freely offers his love to us and his wisdom through these talks and never asks us for anything in return. If you value what he does and what he is and want them to continue, please visit our donate page at sokukoji.org. Thank you. Greetings. This morning, Dharma talk titled is basically was it mountains and more mountains? So it's basically just a session where you ask questions and I'll respond. I can always come up with talk titles and talk about that title. But today I just wanted to open it up to questions. You can take that any direction you want. But first, I'd like to ask you if you're if you frequent this Dharma talk, which has been going on for many years, and that if you um, if this is valuable to you, then you could help us out, support us. Uh, go to the donate page and. See what you can do there, if you can, if you can. So now, I've asked, now you ask, give me a question. Isaac, why don't you give me that question? You uh, suggested a Dharma talk title, and I think that might be a good place to start. <clears throat> Isaac Bowing. Um, it was about damage control. I feel like I associate when I speak in front of Sangha or you, um, there's kind of a sense of saying something wrong. So that's the so-called damage that I want to go in and control it with the three poisons. So I'm wondering what, what about that speaking is risky? Um, well, speaking is, it might feel risky because we we know that people are listening and people are probably uh, maybe agreeing, passion, maybe disagreeing. Um, that could be anything from ignorance to actual warfare or aggression. So, but people are invariably going to take some kind of position on anything you say or do. No way around that. It just seems to be a spontaneous thing that human beings do to. Uh, provide them with a sense of continuity that they're here and they're hearing someone and they have an idea about it. They have an opinion, they have a, a response, but it is very possible. And even uh, um, perhaps more balanced to not do anything with it. Just receive. As I sometimes say, often say, and I'll say now, you don't have to study the uh, you don't have to understand the Dharma, but you have to study it. You're going to be on this path. Under, trying to understand it based on your presumption about what understanding is could actually create problems. So, do you have a further question? Isaac Bowing. So, like, after I start speaking, it's like the, the floodgates of negative thoughts kind of just open. Yes. And are those negative thoughts more valuable to observe than neutral ones or positive ones? 
So I think to try to find out if there's some kind of more value here or value there, this is a a form of, uh, this is actually the language of ego and the language of materialism to try to get an advantage, to get ahead, to get more. So they're all thoughts. They're all emotions. They're all just, just that. We tend to personalize them by making one better than the other. Or uh, I shouldn't be saying, or I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have asked that question. That would be like me getting up here, giving a Dharma talk, and then after the Dharma talk, think, ah, I really shouldn't have said it that way. I should have, I should have, I should have. Let me help you a little bit here. You may be surprised because you might, you might feel that I, I need to work on these talks quite a bit. But I don't have any regrets about it. Not at all. Even if I uh, miss, uh, sometimes I, on, on occasion, because I'm not very adept at memorizing all these words, Sometimes I'll misquote something. Um, that is not a mistake. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should ask me and I will endeavor with concepts because that's what I'm trapped in just the same way you are. Attribution of wrongness to a identity just strengthens that identity. It's just as strong through being wrong, shame, as it is through being right, pride. Take your pick or don't take any pick. Don't pick anything. But just have a willingness to just be, uh, to be, be with whatever you're producing. And in that way, what is important in that area is the awareness around that, the awareness that sees the differentiation and desire that, is a, as, that we wrap ourselves up in uh, like a you know, ball of yarn or something. It's just, a, it's just like a prison of our own thoughts and ideas and beliefs and right and wrong and should be and shouldn't do it. Uh, more? Is he following that right now? So I'd say on top of what I was responding to there, I would say just observe it. Most important thing, if you want to know something that's important, just just observe it, just receive it. Just like weather. You don't have to deliberately depersonalize it, but you can uh, put a little bit of a tether or a little bit of a line on going in and criticizing or shutting it down. Take some time to do that. Years, not months. Other questions? Kevin Bowing. Kevin. A few talks ago, you said something about in Shikantaza that whatever our eye rests upon is ego. Could you explain what you mean by that, Bowing? I'll try to. So I was just using that as a opening the eye mind has an eye spot. And uh, I was just using that as, as that has a, a reson It resonates with that kind of situation. We always look at whatever we look at, we're ignoring everything else. This is what the ego does. It fastens on something and demands or likes it or doesn't like it or is indifferent to it. But it's right through that contact and that area is pretty much controlled by the self-centered aspect of the mind, the seventh consciousness, that part of the consciousness that is paranoid uh, about everything. And so when I teach opening the eye mind, I say, find a spot basically in the center, look at that, and then you can move your, your awareness spot anywhere through different uh, approaches that I've listed. There's probably a half, excuse me, half or a dozen or a dozen or other ones that you could invent yourself moving around in the awareness. So 
to, to fasten down on something and look at it as the very nature of ego is to fixate. So this doesn't mean you can't you can't um, uh, look for your uh, um, look in your uh, your drawer and try to find a soup spoon. Of course, you're going to have to look at that. But that kind of looking is totally situational and doesn't involve some kind of self that's trying to get something, control something, stop something, start something. There's no particular agenda about it other than I'd like to have a soup spoon rather than a, a regular uh, teaspoon. It's a very simple situation happening there rather than the one that is fluffed up that the ego tends to push and operate. So the eye spot, just simply put, and uh, to uh, not to go into OTEM or opening the eye mind particularly, but a, if you took a cross and, and put it through the center of a painting, the center is the eye spot, just because it's the center of the of the whole rectangle. You put your eyes there and leave them there, and then move your awareness around, peripheral awareness around, with particular ways of doing it, or either just casually, just roaming around going in circles and and when you do that you'll notice all kinds of things come into the awareness that you could not see with your eye spot your eye spot is completely conceptual whereas the the roving awareness uh is is not conceptual from the point of view of locking down it is just naturally open and receives colors shapes receives things that and it receives in a language that, it, that is not, you can't even convert into concepts I highly encourage people to practice that so I can get people to listen. But it has a, has a similarity to being locked down when you, if you just watch the ego, then you can move the awareness. It takes practice. If you just watch what moves, watch what moves, that's the eye spot. And then the awareness is everywhere else. Liberate yourself by looking at the prison you're in, your, your beliefs, your ideas, your intense emotions about this your convictions, principles. More, Kevin? Not right now, thank you, Bowing. Hondo. Hondo Bowing, is it possible to see something without the ego? And when you're looking at the periphery, is that there's, there's no way the ego can control that periphery because it needs to actually lock down and the, uh, uh, peripheral awareness can't lock down because it doesn't really see it in the same direct receptive way where you can actually name something. Not that you can't see that uh, on this side of the, of, the, of the room is a red chair and on this side is a salmon colored table. It's not that you can't see those, but you can't. You can't lock down on them because you can't fundamentally see the entire shape. You just see it, have a feeling of the shape or a feeling of the color, but you're not looking at directly at it. And if you practice this very, very much, you'll notice it's very difficult to just stay with the eye. We keep wanting to go over there and look. And the way I teach it, it's okay to look at it and then come back and continue to practice. Same thing with chicken taza. You're sitting, looking at the wall, look right at the wall. You can pick out a spot if you want to, just don't fasten down on it. Look at that spot or that crack or the irregularity in the wall surface. And then then feel the, the person who's sitting next to you. You can get a feeling of they're sitting there. Their presence is there over here. You can hear the birds outside the window. You can feel your the weight of your body and weight of your clothing on, on your shoulders and on your 
rest of your form and your weight, gravity is pulling you down towards the cushion. What about if we're, if we're still looking forward but not fastened on an object? Is that still the ego straight ahead bowing? So I'm just using that as a, a reference. It's not, we're not, I'm not saying, oh, that's your ego. It's not that kind of a, I'm just saying that's, it's because it's so centralized and you're able to lock down on it, then the ego makes use of that. Well, you said anything that we fixate on is our ego. Well, it's the ego that fixates that aspect of consciousness that thinks there is thinks there is someone that I am someone, and I know what's right and I know what's wrong, or I don't have a clue. I'm a terrible person. I'm always a failure. I can't figure out anything. You know, I need to go and get a therapist, or or I need to go meditate. Uh, the issue is that there are kinds of meditation uh, meditation that will actually reinforce that structure, and then there are kinds of meditation that will uh, that will lead you into the uh, common word to use here is uh, the truth or reality. What about what about in, in a dharma talk when listening to the teacher? What about it? Can we, if we're fixating on the teacher, if we're kind of listen is that the same thing as fixating not necessarily need to listen so you're listening it's just that you don't need to uh understand it as it's showing up necessarily just receive it and that way that way that it it will enter your mind stream in just the way that it should that it needs to situationally I know this from experience, having listened to lots of Dharma talks and come out and have no idea what was said. Kozan Bowie. Go ahead, Kozan. A lot of times you say, give it your attention. If we use a simile that a mind is like a child who is demanding attention, Sometimes it seems like it's good not to ignore them, but to give them the attention they're demanding seems to make it worse. So how can we give when our mind is being loud? uh, How can we give it our attention without um, empowering that to do its antics? Thank you for the question. Uh, you are mistaking empowerment. You are replacing the actual attention for empowerment, and uh, and that's ego language. Ego ego is trying to not be somebody who's trying to empower something, and uh, that and it takes a lot of courage to look at the crap in your mind without wanting to do something about it. So, like your question actually is saying that you're trying to find some way to. How can we do this without that happening? And I would say that needs to happen. Well, stop it. Sit down and just receive. Receive the whole, the whole nine course meal. The whole nine, what is it? Yards? Re- receive the whole thing. As soon as you're sitting down and doing practicing shikantaza, anything that arises uh, needs to show up in consciousness. Even though, the, as you described it, uh, even though that difficulty, it's like, how can we do that without that happening? And what I would say is that's, the ego is always want, trying to eliminate or stop something or make something go away. Do, does that make some sense to you, Kozan, what I'm saying? 
Of course I'm bowing, yeah. If something is replaying in consciousness over and over and over, you know, the metaphor of deepening the groove. Yes. Is uh, there a way to work with that where it's like um, kind of stuck in the same groove? Yeah, but see, look look what you're saying. What you're saying, what you're saying in, in concepts is telling me that your awareness is right on this. And what I'm saying to you on top of that is continue to look at that. You don't have to get rid of that. You don't have to worry about a groove. The words groove, that's 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 all psychology. That's relative that's working with things in a relative way as if there's something to fix. You don't have to worry about that groove. That's a, that's another way of working with it, relative way. This is not a relative way. This is a, a way where you see the ultimacy of your mind. And you do that by looking at the 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 difficulty. You look at the groove. You look at the suffering. You look in into all of those realms without fixing anything, without running away. So, more? Did you understand, or am I am I missing uh, connection? I want to connect with you in that area so you can see there's nothing to fix. Thank you. Certainly. Dr. Bowling, for that example of empowerment or the groove. If we're, is there a way to gaze at that the way we gaze at the wall? Just, just don't do anything with it. If it shows up, uh, receive it. If it goes away, just watch it leave. If it comes back, just watch it appear. Add nothing to it. No commentary on that, particularly. Gilgado. Gilgado bowing. When you were responding to Isaac, you said, um, uh, you didn't regret any Dharma talks or anything you said in those talks and that there were no mistakes. So when we apologize, and I've heard you apologize, what are we apologizing for? Bowen? The idea is to be polite and uh, to be apologized for uh, hurting someone or bumping into someone. It's just an apology. When I say, you've heard me say, apologize once, that means you really uh do you bumped into somebody you hurt you spilled somebody's uh spaghetti on the floor oops sorry i'm sorry about that say it once that means you really you really mean it but if you continue that means it's more about you wanting to get let off the hook wanting uh forgiveness forgiveness i i hesitate to say it this way but i don't know how else to say it it's just a uh, bullshit you don't have the right to forgive anybody not that you can't do that it needs to be very simple. Some people build this thing way up where you have to forgive and you have to forgive how your father treated you. And no, you don't. You don't have to do that. That doesn't mean that you write it off and that person kind of what gets off the hook. I don't mean that. I'm just saying be very careful about that. When I say be careful, be very aware of what your intention is there to become this wonderful person who's able to forgive all the wrongdoers. That's ego, big time. So a little bit, either one of those, either, I'm sorry, that's okay, don't worry about it. That's, that's, you're, you're good, we're good. I don't, I'm not talking about those, I'm talking about the, where we make some kind of trip about being all, all forgiving and we try to train other people to be forgiving. Or if you wanna do that, then go ahead. You know, perhaps I'm wrong. 
I probably am. Relatively, I, I am wrong, relatively. But I'm not teaching that. There are people who are doing it. Maybe you need to talk to them. Is regret extra? It- you know, I think a regret, a regret is so... It's so wound up in the particular story of what is happening with you and how you're working with your with your mind and how you're working with your activity in the world. I'm not saying there isn't some remorse uh, for, for things that have done. Uh, even in our vows, it says, from beginning of those times, all, all my wrong actions, I have fully avowed. I'm not quoting you exactly, but you're just acknowledging, I did that, I did this. I, I mean, I was, a, the one that I regret is I was such a terrible thief when I was a young. And I just, it was just kind of a compulsive, you know, if I could take something in a store or from a person, and I, and I, I regret that. I regret it. But at the same time, I, I know that looking back at that, the causes and conditions that were with that young person that is not really here right now, that it just, I don't know what the karma is behind all of that. But then I have other, uh, um, there's other people that would never think of taking somebody else's stuff. And I'm looking back on it, I, I don't know why that occurred. And I weaned myself away from it as soon as I, I could do that, which took a while. I, I think I was probably 20 before I could stop taking somebody else's stuff. It's very hard and very painful to look back on. So there's some regret there. But also I know because I I have an understanding about what this whole dynamic is being a human being. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here with a teacher if I didn't, as a teacher, if I didn't have something to say to you about training your mind. And I do. And if you you are here, then you probably are interested in hearing this. So it's, it's, there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to fix, but we can slow down and, and, uh, and with outflows, anytime you have an outflow, you do something, it comes out of something shows up. This is a dependent origination. Something shows up and you can't, you can't just receive that. You think there's something wrong or something uh, you need to lash out so you can get rid of that outflow because it's painful to ha- to just be responsible for what arises in your mind. Have you noticed that? You take any chance you can, any opportunity to blame anything. Not only blame someone out there, but blame yourself. That's also a difficult one. Watch that. When something arises in the mind, watch how we abandon it for something else. We go somewhere else with it. Judge someone. Shogun, um, what's your vision for um, what what this community, uh, what it means for this community to stabilize? Strong CCC, strong communication. Cooperation, collaboration, and a really strong emphasis on the communication. We need to really stay in touch with each other in this this core community, which is the monastery, the monks who live here. Really communicate with each other, so we so there's no gossip going around. As soon as gossip st- starts to show up, immediately turn that into communication with the people that are involved. So we do this together. We help each other, support each other, not judge each other not talk behind anyone's back, not just talking about the teacher's back, but anyone's back. Don't talk behind anyone's back about anything. If it's, if it's an issue, then take it to them. I'm not saying with your mate or something, you couldn't say something negative about another person in the Sangha. Of course, you're going to do a little bit of that, but keep it to a minimum. 
if it, if it becomes something that's difficult, then get that person, take it to that person and talk to them about it. So that's one thing. We are, our communication, cooperation, collaboration is already really strong here, I think. It seems to me that when you say so. So that's there. Then also uh, working with training our minds and then uh, see uh, as we go along if there's a ways which we're working on right now to reach out, trying to find ways to reach into the community, not trying to convert anybody to Buddhism. A person come into Karma House and over here and could never even know, like be in a yoga class, never even know that there's a monastery right next door. And so no interest in converting people, but just meet, meet them where they're at. They may be any number of different combinations of religion or no religion or so more specific. What, what what are the three C's when we're working with someone who um, has no interest in training their mind? Well, where are they at? How, give me a bigger picture. Are they putting a roof on the house or something? I was thinking of in Karma House, there's a like a little retail space. So someone might come in for uh -huh. something like that and maybe not be there for a meditation class or anything like that. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm just wondering what. Well, we haven't gotten that off the ground yet, but that's there. But that got stopped by COVID mainly. So I'm not sure what your question is. There's cabinets with with malas and so on and things, uh, uh, dharma items there. So what, I'm not sure what you're asking. How would we relate to them? Um, yes, go ahead. Do we, do we work with the three C's differently depending on who we're talking to? It's probably gonna be a little bit situational, but basically the first the first one is to listen. But you might start out by saying, what can I do for you? Or what, what do you need? Well, I just wanted to come over here and I see Karma House and I just wanted to come in to see what you were doing. And you could tell them then debate based on what you're seeing there, then you could tell them a little bit and, and tell them we're going to have an open house pretty soon and get their address or something like that. Just make it situational. Is that going towards what you're thinking about? So less is always better unless it's about training your mind. And then it's get to the wall, get to the, get back to the teacher, the teaching in the community as much as possible, especially for a monk, but for anybody really, if you're trying to train your mind, whether you're ordained or not, why do this otherwise? Something that's been coming up this last week is what, what is it to have a conviction or what are convictions and are there any on the path bowing? How do you define conviction? I guess when I think of it as a situation, it's feeling motivated to support or act on an idea or a group. So the, the Buddhist path uh, has uh, some dynamics there that are, are like convictions, the vow, take a, receive a vow, observe a vow to, to see the truth, to be with all things to return to the, the example of awakening the Buddha as far as far as we can understand, return to the Dharma. There's lots of material there to, and so there's somewhat of a conviction or, an, uh, or, or a wish, a desire, an intention to return to this. We continue to do that, return to the cushion, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, what? More relative convictions seem to help centralize an identity so whether it's a political or a social conviction and i'm wondering 
how a conviction might change while we're on the path or even interfere with the path following. Can I ask what what it what are you looking at there? I'm not it sure. Could be anything from um, bodily autonomy, the right to bodily autonomy, or you know, policing or war or, or equity, and those things feel like we have to support them because people are being hurt. And I'm just wondering how our relationship to those situations might change through sitting or if we're clinging to those convictions, if they could actually take us away from the path or interfere with training the mind bowing. Yeah, they probably could. So as we've been saying, everything is dependently risen. So there's no solid identity anywhere. It just it seems very, it's a very powerful illusion that, that you are somebody going somewhere because you're uh, you don't wake up in somebody else's body in somebody else's house unless well, you might. I think that would be kind of a shock. Uh, but we're, we're, there's a continuity to life that helps us identify with this person, uh, even though we're changing all the time, getting older. So there's a continuity there. But is there a solid a, a actual identity there? And so we quite often get our identity from con being having a conviction. And then we have that in here. Then we have this conviction. Then we have another conviction. We have another. It's a very similar uh, situation in uh, the Buddha Buddhist uh, path. Is we need to have some kind of a structure. We need a place to meditate. In this situation, we have a monastery. One of the strongest environments you could have for meditation. And but people have a room in their house where they meditate. They might even have a uh, a zendo, or they might just sit in a cushion right next to their bed. Lots of different structures there. And each person is going to do that however, however it shows up situationally. And I remember years ago, when you'd, you've been here going on 11 years, I think. And uh, is that true? 10 years this spring. Okay, yes. 10 years. So I remember years ago, you were thinking about about going in the Peace Corps. I mean, you were living here, you've been here about two years, maybe? It was with, within the first year of me being here. Okay. And you were thinking about doing that, and I think I stopped you, didn't I? Or didn't I? I had broken my back, and they wouldn't. Um, oh, something else stopped. They wouldn't. I couldn't. I didn't qualify because of my injury. Oh, then I was just thinking about stopping you. Had that my back not stopped me. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I probably wouldn't have talked you out of it, uh, particularly. I would have trusted whatever you wanted to do with your life. So, uh, causes and conditions that are changing are, are just, we just need to watch those, observe those as much as possible and not believe them, disbelieve them, or shut down on them. So then we can, because all of those things are changing slightly all the time because causes and conditions are not static. They're in motion all the time. They are so much in motion. They're, everything is so much in motion that it looks like nothing happens. If you see dependent origination, that's how it looks. It doesn't look like anything is happening because everything that seems to have a particularity comes from picking and choosing. And if you stop picking and choosing, then you see everything. And it's not a big whoop-de-doo event either. Nothing to brag about. So going back to 
Your question, I, I would think that it could. Things that arise in your... We've had people come here that look like they were going to stay here, and then things happened in their life that took them away, and they're gone. They may be practicing in another place under another teacher. Nothing particular to correct there. Is there something else in the question? This should... Does the priority change as we begin to formalize our relationship to the path through Jukai or ordination following? What do you want to know? If there should be any intentional moving away from certain things that we've been engaged in and prioritizing that energy into the path if we're beginning to take vows. Okay. I, I think it's very situational that some people can continue to to operate in different ways. We have people here that um, none of them are here because they're all doing something else. Um, and, and that something else, you could look at a situation like, well, they have to do that because of this and this and this. And then the other person, well, they have to do that because of this and this and this. So there's justifications for not being here. But uh, So I'm not sure if that's where you're going. Should Should people stop doing that or stop taking a vacation or something or i'm thinking about just that mentality well, I, i'm not i'm not about to give up that view for the path or oh. i have to be I, I can't i can't stop you know fighting for this or for that i see i i just think it's so situational that so some people i i, I even say if you want to join a movement go ahead you can still meditate uh, if you're if you're a monk and you're if you're someone I've ordained, you, you need to talk to me first. If it's something you want to do that I don't want you to do, uh, I will ask for your robes back. Say, so, you know, here, I'll keep these. You go uh, climb Mount Everest, and when you get back down, if you do get back down, then come back and we'll retake your vows. We've done that, I think, with one person. Um, and that was... Uh, it didn't work out as well as I would have liked because they came back and then they left again and never talked to me again. Is that wrong? No, they're doing what they want to do, but it's their life. They're the one, it's their body-mind complex that's going back into the elements. Go ahead. Do whatever you want with your life. You know, you do whatever you want. But if you want this path, it's going to take some dedication, some, some devotion and some intention. You have to intend to do this. And it takes a while. And it's not required. I'm not requiring this of anybody. I'll continue to talk to any person, even if they only meditate three times a year. It's up to you. You have to do it. You sometimes quote, I think, Trump Rinpoche saying, the best relationship is no relationship. Yes. What are you pointing at with no relationship? What is he pointing at? I have no idea. I know what I'm pointing at when I say it is the is the relationship between yourself and someone else is an illusion. But don't believe that. Don't even bite down on it. Don't even try to unpack that and figure it. You cannot figure that out. That has to be seen. And the way it is seen is that there's no solid self in this kind that is yours or anyone else's. So when we say I need to work on our relationship. Well, maybe a little bit. When you, when I say sit down and have a face-to-face -face, uh, interview, 
either with the teacher or with another sangha member or with your partner or something like that. I just think that's that's about uh, communication and how that shows up may reinforce uh, the illusion of a relationship and it may start to uh, cause it to come apart. One, one uh, this may not, this may or may not be helpful, but any relationship you're in, you'll notice this constantly in flux. Sometimes it's just great and sometimes it doesn't work so well and then it goes another way. But what, what is it in the relationship that doesn't change at all? What is it in any relationship between you and another human being that is based on passion, aggression, ignorance? I like it. I don't know. You shouldn't have said that to me. Well, when I did this and then you said then you, but you get to do this. But now look, look what, how you're all upset because I'm, you know what I'm talking about. All of you do. We do this constantly. It's a wonder we're not all in the insane asylum. Well, we kind of are. The world isn't a huge, uh, what did Trungpa call it? Uh, emergency room. If you're a bodhisattva, the whole world is an emergency room. And we're not saying don't do that. I'm not saying don't, but be aware of, of the way uh, outflows. Something arises, totally your responsibility to receive that. Nobody poured this crap into you. But what, what do we do? We abandon what arises because it's uncomfortable and we blame. Or we blame. Or we blame. Or we figure it out, or we calculate, or we have a description of why it's arising. It's like the like the difference between a particle and a wave, if you've read any of that material, which it, sometimes it's, it's brought to a pedestrian level, so you can kind of get an idea of what they're talking about, but I have no idea how they even come up with those two differentiations. And, in uh, particle physics, but it's very interesting material because it's talking about the fundamental situation, which is um, not there. There is no fundamental thereness to it because if you, if you, uh, if no one's looking at it, it's a wave. But if someone looks at it, it's a particle. What the hell is that about? It's an astonishing thing to contemplate, even if you are kind of slow on the draw as I am. Go ahead. Um, what is, what is bodily autonomy? If there's no self. Going? How are you using bodily autonomy? What, what direction are you going with that? I, I heard it recently. Just the term brought up in terms of people having the right to make decisions about their. Oh yeah. Body. Should should be should be up to you. There needs to be some communication, cooperation, collaboration going on there about that. So, like for instance, the the bodily autonomy of being having their having women decide about what's going to happen with their body, and not uh, people in Washington D.C. or on the Supreme Court. It's kind of obvious. But I don't know what what I would say. That's obvious that women should ha decide themselves. Apparently, you know, with a doctor, or with that should not be anyone's decision. It shouldn't be a political situation. That's a power thing. But then, if you go to the other bodily situation, like I have a right to uh, walk in a in a crowded theater and scream fire. I can say whatever I want, freedom of speech. So that might might have to limit that bodily activity a little bit. The same way with uh, uh, when the overall consensus, and I'm not, I don't know who's correct here, or who's incorrect, because the politics have got in there and mucked the whole thing up. But the basic consensus is it's probably a good idea to get vaccinated. 
And there's, there are people that, that I actually respect that don't agree with that. And I'm not sure why I don't have the time to go into become a junior scientist uh, with Mr. Wizard. Any of you watch with Mr. Wizard in the 1950s? Have no elderly people here, huh? Okay. Okay, I guess I'm in charge then. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the old man. But I mean, it's situational. Look, I mean, look at it with some with some um, uh, what what's the word? Common sense, and say, well, yeah, you wouldn't if if everyone is saying that we need to, uh, and the the powers that be in the medical community, uh, the consensus happens to be, and we even see some proof now that if you if you have the take these shots, they will help you, and they may prevent you spreading it further. Wear a mask, and so on. All the craziness around that is. It's just, it's crazy. That's why they call it crazy. So in that situation, you should actually just have some regulations. And so that bodily autonomy, that's another one. There's a lot more. Do um, you have a direction that, where you're thinking about it? Sure, the, the question's coming out of, it, it seems like there's an ego tendency to kind of create boundaries. Is there a way we can have boundaries that don't feed the illusion of the self? There's a, a if, if you're clear, uh, if you have some clarity about who you are and you're respectful of others, then the boundaries uh, are quite obvious. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure where your, what your inquiry is about. If you could say a little bit more, maybe I can. Well, I think you just answered it. Yeah. It sounded like you were saying the boundaries were situational. They are. It's it's very. It's like someone's body is is uh, hands off. It's their body in, in almost every situation, unless they just fell out in the street and broke their leg. Then you wouldn't go up and say, "Do I have permission to help you get you out of the traffic?" You know, you would take them out of the traffic. It's kind of a somewhat of an assumption that might be a little bit bizarre. You know, you don't ask permission of parents to save their child if their child is running out between parked cars. You stop the child. But you really have no right to do that because that's not your child. Don't put your hand, don't you put your hands on. But the, the place is crazy enough that somebody could take you to court for touching their child. So there wasn't any traffic there. You're trying to molest them. That kind of stuff can happen. That kind of insanity happens. If you watch the news for a few minutes, you see people getting murdered by people who think that in order to somebody won't stop for a traffic ticket, they should be murdered. I, I would say that's stepping across the boundaries. Just the whole structure of our system of the police and the military and all that shows you how insane the world is, that we need all that. And one of the things that Trungpa Rinpoche did that I did not agree with having spent four years in the Marine Corps and having a, a father who was killed in World War II in Germany in 1945, having a little bit of experience with that. Uh, I did not particularly uh, agree with his uh, Vajra guard or Dorje Kasam. Somehow came out of ancient Tibet, but I never had a chance to talk to him because uh, I didn't have access to him. But I would have brought that up of why, why have a military? Uh, I don't know why, I really don't know why. Although he talked about it a few times, well, you need you need some kind of a you know something out there to protect uh, the teacher, the teachings. So I don't know. 
don't disagree. I just say I, I don't understand, and I, I, I am not about to institute something like that. Shokobang. Yes, sir. What is ignorance before we conclude it as ignorance? Again, please. Shokobang, what is ignorance before it is concluded as ignorance? Then it's ignorance. And when you conclude it as ignorance, then there's some awareness around some aspect of your shutting down or distracting yourself. So if you're aware that you're distracting yourself, it might not be really strong, but there might be just a feeling that you're missing something. Uh, you get, uh, do you follow me a little bit? Am I getting close to what you're looking for? Shogobang, yes, I'm, I'm looking at the something arises that looks like it's covering up something and the tendency to want to fight with it, to uncover it and see what's there. So the way that is done is to just look at the cover up. Don't remove it. Removing the cover up, uh, there's a credential there. And you haven't really, you're still operating it with it. Uh, as if there's a right or wrong or correct and incorrect. And that is valid to some extent. But the way to look, uh, the way to work with that is just to watch the cover up, watch yourself cover things up, watch yourself grasp at emotions and watch yourself believe in a You're angry instead of stopping the angry, shutting down the anger or, or having an outflow that is where you're enraged at someone or yourself or a situation. Just be responsible for that, for that uh, anger. And how do you do that? Feel it. Want to spell that again? F-E-E-L. Feel it. Don't think it. Feel it. Let, and I say let, even let is extra. Because then it involves some kind of identity that's actually giving something permission. Don't do that either. Don't get any credential out of it. Feel the crap you're trying to get rid of. Live, don't miss your life. When I when I talk about this, I sometimes think I should talk more about it because people have emotions they think they shouldn't have. And I'm telling you with as much uh, force and energy behind my words, whatever you're feeling, you're supposed to have. This is your life. You're a living being insofar as you're anything at all. And so whatever happens in your life, in your neighborhood and you're at your kitchen table. It's not that it's correct or right or pleasant, but it needs to occur. And your way of responding to that may be to um, tell the person to leave your house. I'm not saying you shouldn't do something like that. You can't talk to me that way. You're going to have to leave. I'm not saying that shouldn't happen, but there needs to be some kind of strong ability or practice where you're practicing receiving your thoughts so that when life starts coming to you in the form of its very solid thoughts called other people, situations, receive it, observe it, look at it, consider it, give it, give it a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, unless it's a, an AK-47 pointed at you, and then you might want to run. So there are variations on that theme. There's not one, there's not one standard that you should do, but you could consider when something arises in your mind stream as anger, passion, aggression, ignorance, you could consider just watching that and, and treating that as sometimes what we call a, a Dharma gate, where there's something, if you look at it, you look at it, you don't push on it, 
You look at it, you don't pull on it. You look at it, you don't distract yourself to some other thing there. You just observe that and see if it opens. If you look at it clear, clearly enough, it stops becoming a gate. It's only a gate because of passion, aggression, and ignorance. Jishin Bowing. <clears throat> Following Shoka's question and your answer, do we have to first uh, conclude before we become aware of something? Bowing. Conclude? Yes. I'm not sure I follow. You said you said to Shoka <clears throat> that before conclusion c concluding, it's uh, it is ignorance. So for something not to be ignored, do we have to first conclude and then become aware of it that it's not ignorance? Going. No. <laughs> So I'm saying uh, I was uh, I might have missed his question. Maybe you understood his question and I didn't. But I understood uh, it to be uh, ignorance that we're aware of, that we are aware of and ignorance that we're not aware of. Ignorance that we're not aware of is just that. It's it's the basic ignorance. One of the uh, profound forms of ignorance that we can uh, can address here right away is ignorance of there being no self, the actual belief that there is someone in the skandhas, there's some person here who can win or lose, live or die. The, uh, the identification with the body. And so the other kind of ignorance is that you're more aware of is when you when you know you are distracting yourself deliberately from something. Uh, when, you're, when you're talking to someone and they're talking and you just realize that you've not heard the last three, four sentences they've said, you just ignored them. So you might be aware that you're ignoring them. You may even come back and you say, you know, I was daydreaming. I was daydreaming when you said that or ignoring. Excuse me, could you repeat what you said? And most people would say, yeah, I think so. I can think I can repeat part of it. But that would be an uh, ignoring that was uh, that you would be kind of in retrospect and ignore that you just shut down on that. And I, I think that's what where Shoka is going with it. Shoka, did I get close to what you were looking for? Yes, I have a question um, further about that. When you talk about feeling deeply, what does it look like to feel ignorance deeply? That's how it feels. Did you hear me? I said, that's how it feels. Shogobang, in that, in that moment, I uh, watched myself move away from what you were doing. Is that what you're pointing to? If that's what you saw, yes. I teach out of this. I don't know anything. I don't, I don't need to have that to, to, to teach. If, if something comes up, I need to talk about it, it'll appear. If it doesn't, then I don't look for it. How, what does it look like to act out of no self? You won't know what you're doing. You won't have the, you won't have the cooperation 
uh, of your self-centeredness uh, telling you in the back of your mind, this is okay, just keep going. You know, you got this. Uh, or be real careful here because I'm not sure what's going to happen next. You'll have that little chatter, subconscious gossip, as Trungpa used to call it. That, that commentary, constant commentary about right and wrong. Should you, shouldn't you? Is this right? Shouldn't you do this? Shouldn't I do that? What's happening here? What do they really mean when they say this? And a constant reiteration or commentary or elaboration on everything, constant elaboration. And what it looks like is not much is happening. You just function. This doesn't mean you don't try to find out where you put the fork at. When you're getting ready to eat and you thought you set the table and now you can't find the fork. Sure, I set that down. doesn't mean that you don't directly approach anything as a something you might need to think about a little bit situationally. And so things come up situationally and you relate to them very directly as they are and not, uh, not abandon what's arising for what you think about it. What do you think about all that? What do you think? What do you think about what I'm thinking about what you're thinking? It's an incredible elaboration. We call it society or we call it a conversation. Next time you have a conversation with anyone, uh, put it on receive about 90% of the time and see how much See what that, see what the intention of your intention is, other than to try to receive, but also the, t the intention of the speaker, if they're just filling the room up with their language about their uh, uh, busted piano bench. Augie Bowing? Augie. And going back to Juzon's question about relationship, if, if it's a kind of illusion that there are separate people in relationship with each other, is it an illusion? as well that there are separate people conscious of each other bowing? <laughs> well, they're, they're conscious of, they, they're conscious of the, of the other uh, human form, but what, when they see that, they, they are aware of their, their assumptions or ideas or projections and their beliefs and their opinions about that person. So you're always, you're always relating to projections of your own mind until you're not. You're in a relationship. How's it working for you? It's working. <laughs> Good. But uh, uh, in, a, in a different, in a, another direction, maybe, uh, you've said that you know, is, we don't have individual consciousness, you've said. Well, I'll say a little bit. They individuate based on the belief in an ego. If you believe you are somebody, then then you have access to consciousness because it doesn't belong to anyone, anyone unless there's a body-mind complex that that aspect of the consciousness that is showing up in, through the eyes, through the ears, nose, tongue, body-mind thought process, through the brain, through the through the um, through the um, um, what's that nerve called? The polyvagal nerve is uh, that one. And then uh, there's a whole bunch of other nerves in there. <laughs> but I, I don't know much about them. I just know they're there. But what I'm saying, I, I, it's, it, it's difficult to talk about it because it's, it's both. It's, 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 it's somebody and it's n not somebody. So it's somebody, the identification of a body-mind complex as being somebody is very powerful. And we... We, when we have a conversation with someone, we, we think about what we're thinking about. We th 
I'm thinking about what you're thinking about, what I'm thinking about, what you're, and we just build a, a, a whole structure of uh, that we call a conversation. So it's not like the the it's not the emptiness of of uh, of absence. It's the it's the emptiness of a self. So there's there is something there, but it is not separate. It is it is consciousness itself, and it, and it's not it, it, and it can do whatever it needs to do. It can it can shrink right up into what you're looking at, and it can expand uh, infinitely. And it's not some kind. There's no ego there who's thinking, "Oh, how wonderful I am! I just re- realized I'm a I'm a supernova, a black hole, and the moons of Jupiter all at once." How amazing! <laughs> I never thought about that before, but now that I'm thinking about it, why not? So it's not that. It's 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 even more than that. It's more astonishing than just a bunch of items in space. It's more profound and vast. And it's also minute and singular and on a point at the same time. That's why this uh, mentioned earlier, the the idea of of an observer in physics has become very important. As perhaps you know, any of you have dabbled around in that, that. And I think I said earlier, it's a wave until somebody looks at it and then it's a particle. It just shows you the fundamental nature of everything is uh, unreal. I've got about I got about twenty more years here before I reach a hundred. So if you have any more questions, Dishinbang, go ahead. You mentioned a few days ago something about the force of gravity, and you you left us with the question whether the force of gravity is actually about pulling. Yes. Down or pushing. I I'm wondering whether um, our view or perspective of our situation is changing depends on the huge force like this. Whether that force is pulling or pushing. Um, so I think it's doing both. It's interesting though. It's an area that that you can't. Because we're so used to it, gravity, you you know, from the time you were six years old and jumped from the top bunk of your uh, bunk beds, you know, gravity. <laughs> I, I, I was uh, was quite perplexed at that when I was very young, that there even could be such a thing. But I'm pretty convinced now. So I, I don't think those two things are separate. It looks like when I say gravity only pull... Gravity only pulls. Actually, I, it's, that's untrue. That's just how it appears. Maybe it's pushing. Maybe it's doing both. There's no one that can really explain what gravity is. They, they can talk about it and sound very scientific, but do you happen to know what gravity is? You just call him a liar? <laughs> it's a big secret. I'll take one more question if there is one. If not, we can go ahead and close. Wulong bowing. Wulong. Um, talking about no relationships. Um, how do you know in, I'm sorry, I'm formulating the question as I, in a relationship, how do you know when things are, falling apart if it is the the concept of relationship that's falling apart 
or if that is reinforcing the concept of two okay. people in a relationship. Okay. I can say a little bit about it, but when I'm using concepts, it's difficult to talk about something that you have to perceive. It's like, I'm trying, I'm going to try to, you never heard a cardinal, but I'm going to describe what they sound like. Impossible. I can't do that. I mean, even though I have a wonderful voice. Okay. Maybe I don't. <laughs> I was hoping to get some agreement. So here's what I'm going to say to respond to that, that if you, if you're, you ask about how do you know if it's falling apart, I can address that. You'll know that it's falling apart when you are talking to someone and you're in a relationship with them, to use the conventional word, and you see that you're not there. You see that it's just them. There is no relationship. Your heart breaks about them. And even though there's no heart, there isn't anyone else. Everything is, everything is, uh, even the otherness is, is empty of other also, but the, but there, the, it starts by falling apart here. And then eventually it falls apart there. And then, then you have, not only do you have Anudra Samyak Sambodhi, but complete wisdom, but you also have compassion, which is not a feeling. Well, on bowing, can that falling apart also look like everything it breaks your heart in that moment? Of course. Exactly. Exactly. So my question is, how do we know we are ignored? If we are ignored, how can we ask? We're not ask. How, how do we know if we're ignoring something? How do we know we are ignored? Somebody, somebody ignored us. Oh, I, I'm not sure how that would work. Uh, so someone is ignoring us. That might be more of a social dynamic. Um, but... People ignore, parents ignore their children by not meeting them where they're at. They just shut down on who's in front of them and just lay a trip on them, so to speak, to use a kind of a conventional word. They just try to make them fit into a certain structure and, and don't really appreciate them. They ignore them, ignore the incredible singularity we call this human life by rather than just really looking at that person and seeing what does it really what could we really do for this young person to then fundamentally train their mind, become educated uh, in a way that uh, would fundamentally help them rather than try to lay some kind of trip on them, get them to live up to some kind of standard of how, it, how a eight-year-old should act? I'm not sure that's what you're asking about, but that's what came out. Thank you. That's helpful. But what if just during normal conversation, I feel like I'm ignored. Part of my ego is, you no. know, I should not ignored. So if I ask, how can I observe when I ask the question? Uh, I, I'm a little confused by what you're asking, but I'm, I, am I hearing you say or ask that you want to know how someone could, how you can know if they're ignoring you? Yeah. Yes. Everybody's ignoring you. Very, very rare to meet someone that isn't shut down in a lot of ways. And you're peeking through there a little bit. You know who you what's actually there. They're they're receiving some of you, but they don't really receive you as they are because they have their concepts and ideas all around you to block out who is actually there. 
They're blocking it out. What do you do about that? Train your mind. You you train your mind so you know you can see clearly the, the degree to which people are suffering and tend to block things out, especially people with no mind training tend to just shut down and blame others for how they feel or uh, maybe blame themselves. It's a um, whole societies have structures and mores and rules and laws that, that set up a structure so you can't really get to know who you are. You're too busy trying to live up to other people's ideas of how you, how you should be or how you should act or what's valuable, what's not valuable, who you should vote for. It's a big mess. Samsara. Very good. I guess we can close. Thank you so much for your questions. Hi, this is Chiezan, the prior at Sokokoji Buddhist Monastery. Sokozan offers these talks without expecting anything in return. If you value these talks and would like them to continue, please visit our donate page at www.sokokoji.org. Thank you.